Hi, I'm Hannah Carden. I'm the teaching pastor at Urban Village Church. And if you talk about me, you can use the pronouns she and her. And I am so, so grateful to be here with all of you this morning and to worship. If you are the praying kind, I would invite you to please pray with me. God of grace and mercy and power, be with us now as you have been with us in all things. You have brought us and our ancestors thus far along the way. We trust and we know <clears throat> that you will be with us in all of the days to come. God, we ask that in my words, in my meditations today, in all of our words, in all of our meditations, in all of our actions, we would find you, that you would be present to us and we would be present to you and we would please you with how we move and what we say. And if we don't, if we stray from you or from love or from each other, help us to notice, to figure it out and to move back towards you to the glorious promise of your resurrection and all of its second and 77th chances. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> One of the first funerals I ever did was at the first church I served, which was mostly Filipino and Filipino-American and filled with people who were just so, so kind to me in my own youth, in my own faith journey as a pastor. And there was this couple who were just lovely, so funny, um, so kind. And they did that kind of been together for a while bickering that is just a joy to watch, right? Of uh, knowing each other really well. And so knowing things about each other and saying them in front of you. And when <clears throat> one of them, um, the husband, it was a husband and wife, died, we had known that it would happen for a while, but it was still incredibly painful, both for her and for everyone who loved him. And one of the graces of that time was that he had been really specific about how he wanted things to go after he died, which is a gift that you can give to other people. He told them how he wanted to um, be interred, how he wanted to be honored, what kind of ceremony he wanted, who he wanted to be there. And that was in part a gift because he was not Filipino. He was white and had grown up in the United States and had grown up in Chicago and had had a family before he had had his second spouse, um, uh, another spouse and, and kids. And so he wanted to give away for all of them to be involved. And it really worked and it was really beautiful. But one of the things that he wanted was to be cremated. And I'm also white. I'm also American. I know a lot of people who've been cremated as well as a lot of people who had been buried but for his spouse, um, that's that was much less the practice where she came from, much more unusual um, for her and for her friends and for the people she knew. And she didn't say anything about it to me, but I kind of knew that from other folks in the church that they had had struggles with that um, when doing funerals and, and burials in the past. And so I didn't want to bring up something if it wasn't a pain point for her, but I also knew that for a lot of people it is. And so it just kept coming up in my mind the way that the Holy Spirit will kind of like bring something up in you over and over again. And so at one point I was sitting with her preparing the service and I said, you know, I don't know if this is even on your mind. I don't know if this is even bothering you. I'm sorry if I'm being presumptuous, but I just wanted you to know that I believe that the Jesus who is powerful enough to raise us from our bones into resurrection with one another is powerful enough to raise us from ashes into resurrection with one another. 
and I'm not worried at all about who and how we will meet when we are resurrected together. I just wanted you to know that. And she burst into tears because she had been worrying and she had felt silly for worrying or she had felt like this was his choice, I need to go with it, but she had worried that being buried in different ways would mean something different about the forms of our resurrection. And it's natural because the resurrection is such a strange thing to believe in in the first place. It, it feels impossible to get your hands around it and then to understand anything else about it. And so of course, right, many of us have these questions. How exactly will it work? What will the way that we do things now affect it? Is it that really true? Is that really going to happen? Did that really happen to Jesus? Can that really happen to us? It's such a strange and wild thing to believe that, of course, we all have our questions. We all have our worries. We all have our anxieties. We all have our doubts. And yet I realized as I said that to her in that moment that I really believed what I was saying. It was something that I, I hadn't had to think too much about before. I just said it because God said it. But when I really thought about it, I thought, I, I believe. I believe that Jesus was resurrected in his body, not just an idea. I believe that we will be too. And, and I believe that there is a powerful force of love that is resurrecting us all of the time here on earth as we live in our everyday moments that I experience resurrection every day in the presence of hope and people who keep on doing life and amazingness even when things feel so hard. But it's a strange and wild thing to believe, we know. And so it makes perfect sense that Thomas is resistant, right? This is the kind of overwhelming narrative about Thomas throughout the scriptures. This character, this person who we just met in the scripture that was read so beautifully a few moments ago is someone who his friends tell him, Jesus has been raised from the dead. The resurrection is real. That thing Jesus was talking about the whole time that we never understood, it happened. He appeared to us in this locked room a week ago and it was incredible. His first response is not amazing. His first response is, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it right? I'll believe it when I can put my hands in those wounds. I saw him get killed. I saw how bad this world is. I have experienced how bad it can get. I'm not believing in hope unless I can touch it, right? That is a true part of this story of Thomas, that he has his doubts. But there's so much more that's happening here that isn't captured in that simple telling of the story. Why didn't he believe? Is it is it simply that the resurrection is such an extraordinary thing? It's almost impossible. He does believe it a moment later when Jesus tells him. One thing I've been wondering about in these last few days as I meditate on it anew, every year this scripture says something new to me, is that what's kind of remarkable about Thomas's experience isn't having doubts or worries or wonders about the resurrection and how it works. It's that he doesn't believe his friends. If 10 of my best friends who I had done everything with for years told me that they had seen something that had changed all of their lives all at the same time, I like to think I'd believe them. But Thomas doesn't. And so I wonder, I wonder, is there something more happening here than simply doubts about whether the resurrection could be true, could take place, could be the reality of the world? 
Thomas has gone through so much in the days leading up to where we meet him. Judas didn't just betray Jesus. Judas betrayed him and all of his friends, right? He's experienced betrayal and pain. He has seen the state execute um, the leader of a movement that he thought would end the oppression of his people. He has been scared, maybe more scared than he thought he would be. He has been weaker than he thought he would be. The first time we hear Thomas talk out loud, it's when Jesus is going to head back to resurrect Lazarus. And the disciples know that that's kind of dangerous because they're going closer and closer to places where Jesus really challenges the power of others. And Thomas says, let us go and die with him. He's excited about the idea of being a martyr, right? About the idea of dying dramatically for his people and for his cause. But when it turns out that what he's called to is to sit in a room with a bunch of his friends after something really sad has happened and believe what they say, that's a little less doable. It's a little less achievable for Thomas. And I get it. I have begun to wonder, having become more acquainted with being alone in this time than I ever have before in our COVID times together, whether it's the very fact of Thomas's aloneness and separation and feelings of loneliness that make it hard for him to believe the witness of his friends. A week before, when Jesus appeared to them, when Jesus came through closed doors and walls, doing the thing he always does to reach us, which is overcome anything, and said to those disciples, peace be with you, Thomas wasn't there. Why not? It says something about our COVID times that the, the first thing that occurred to me when I was reading it for this Sunday was, oh, maybe he's the one who goes grocery shopping. Maybe he shops for everybody, right? Maybe he gets the provisions for the household because that's my current experience is the only time that we're not together. The only time one of us ventures out, if it's not for a short walk around the park or around the block, is to go get food. So I thought, oh, maybe he went and got food. But that doesn't explain his mistrust when he returns. It doesn't address all this that he's gone through. And so I wonder, did he not? was he not with the disciples that day because he was wondering whether he was going to be with them at all? he wasn't sure if they were his friends anymore because he wasn't sure who he was anymore and that made it so much harder even when he returned to trust what they said about hope and love and joy and the possibility of more than what he had experienced in the last week or two this tracks with something that i've been reading about um, for this sermon series which is research on what loneliness is and how it works we're going to be looking at a bunch of different Bible characters who, like Thomas, spent some time alone, some time in isolation or um, closed up, and how they dealt with it so that we can learn how we're going to deal with it, how we're going to get through, what we're going to be up to. And one of the things I found was from these two researchers at the University of Chicago who study loneliness and have for years. It's the only thing that they study <laughs> um, because it turns out loneliness was kind of a problem before our current crisis. And one of the things they found is that you would think, what everybody thought, was that Feelings of loneliness, emotional loneliness and alienation would mostly correlate with physically being alone. The, the fewer opportunities you had to see people, the less often you were around others or the fewer people in your household, the more often you'd feel lonely. Um, that was kind of the expectation, but it turned out it's not the case at all. You can spend lots of hours physically alone, physically separated from other people. But if you have connections that feel trustworthy and enduring and where you place hope and joy and love, you don't feel lonely at all. 
Um, conversely, if, if you are surrounded by people at work, at home, in your social life, but you always feel alienated from them, you don't ever really feel seen, you don't ever really share who you are, you don't feel like you can trust them with what's going on, you feel acutely and incredibly lonely, which tracks. <laughs> I feel like that's my experience. But it was really hopeful for me to read at this time because it made me think, oh, like just because we're physically alone doesn't mean we have to feel lonely. Those two things aren't always the same. And in fact, often aren't. They're disconnected. We can be physically separated and find ways to experience hope and trust and love. People have done it. We can believe that which we cannot see. We can trust in relationships that aren't right in front of us that we can't touch. But it's going to take some work. One of the things these researchers found is that one of the things about the feeling of loneliness is that it's a, um, a cycle, like a really hard cycle, where if you become a little bit lonely and alienated for one reason or another, you've experienced a betrayal, an oppression, a profound um, rupture in your life, or just you're feeling that way. One of the defense mechanisms of our human bodies and minds is that we then start to become more mistrustful of every human interaction that we have. Because we have experienced this feeling of loneliness, we become more suspicious of everyone who approaches us. Do they really like me? Do they really want to spend time with me? Is this all just going to fall apart? And so the very tools we need to get out of our loneliness, vulnerability, trust, connecting with others, believing that things can be better, hoping that the future will be different even if the present isn't what we want, all become harder by the thing that you're trying to fix which is kind of classic and really hard. And as I read that, I just saw Thomas in it. Thomas who has been alienated, Thomas who has been betrayed, Thomas who has experienced profound social disruption of his community in ways that he never expected, had never thought could be possible. Now every little thing feels harder to trust, feels harder to hope for, feels harder to do. But the only way Thomas is going to get out of that, the only way Thomas will be delivered from cynicism and be able to believe things that he can't touch and see right now, he's this really tactile person, is if he takes one leap forward to do it a little bit. And that's what's going to help him to do it a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And the same is true of all of us. Thomas needs to take that leap when Jesus appears to him and says, touch my wounds. Thomas doesn't even need to do it. It's, it's once Jesus has made that overture, once Jesus has checked in, once Jesus has said, I know the wounds suck. <laughs> it's hard. It's awful. All of a sudden he can take a leap of faith and he can say, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God, you are here and I believe in your promises. I believe in resurrection. I believe in hope. I believe in love. I believe in joy against all odds, against the experience of my current state and community. Those things are real. And the more that I believe in them now, the more that I can believe in them and build them in the future. It's a lesson we could all take from Thomas and his time of isolation from his friends is that we're going to have to put in some work to trust one little bit to invest in one more relationship, one more way of being in the world that creates a different way of being in the world, a different network of mutual cooperation and love and care. 
We're going to have to reach out to one person who we think doesn't know us and might act weird. We're going to have to take one call that we're not sure if we want to take or how it's going to feel. We're going to have to do one less thing we feel like we have to do so that we can instead invest in hope and love and joy and resurrection because they're real and we can be a part of them. I find in Thomas enormous hope because he's like me and he's like you and that the resurrection is hard to believe, but once you believe it, it changes your entire life. There are signs of resurrection all around you. Signs of resurrection in the little ways that your neighbors are reaching out to one another, in the packages they leave for one another on the street or the things they put in their window to entertain you. There are signs of hope and resurrection all around in the protests and the letters we are sending and the ways that we are getting our legislators to not poison neighborhoods, right? By shutting down factories, by continuing to fight for people to get the money that they need in this time and the care that they need in this time. There are signs of hope and resurrection in our natural world. The plants are coming back. Winter happened, it was real, but so is this too. And so I invite you to trust one sign today, to believe one thing that can't be seen, to find hope and joy and resurrection and Jesus's power and love in one place where it's hard for you. And in that practice, you will find it more and more. You will become someone who sees the signs that John talked about so often, the signs of Jesus in our life, the signs of resurrection in our world, the signs that the kingdom has come and can become complete. Look for the signs, believe in them, and believe in more, and believe in more, until you are surrounded by care and community and love, and your experience and soul too can be resurrected. In Jesus' name we give thanks. Amen.